Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Eric. Now I'm Sam Ashurst, I'm a writer, I'm a director and I'm the co-host of the podcast that you're listening to right now. Normally I'm joined by Dan Martin, special effects artist extraordinaire, but as we discussed on Wild Things last week, he is off filming so he couldn't take part in this fortnight's episode, but luckily I am joined by a good friend and uh, excellent director, Eric Penikoff. Now, he's the writer and director of the upcoming Arrow release, The Leech. Now, Eric is a massive fan of Arrow video and all of their excellent Blu-ray releases. He's very excited that The Leech is going to be one of those releases. So I thought that it was a good opportunity to celebrate Arrow and to celebrate the podcast Uh, The concept I'm going to explain at the start of the interview that I'm about to cut to, uh, but before I do that, I should explain that the sound quality isn't quite up to the standard of our usual episodes. The conversation was recorded on Zoom, so it's not quite as sharp as it normally is, but Eric has so many cool things to say about his favourite Arrow video releases. I'm hoping you'll agree that it's worth it. Now, I'll be back at the end of this episode for our usual outro, and I actually want to give special thanks to you, the precious arrowheads, at the end of this episode. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, I'm going to cut to myself now, and here is me talking to Eric Penikoff about his favourite Arrow video releases of the Arrow Video Podcast Lifetime. Uh I'm going to explain more in a second. Here we go. So, Eric, to celebrate the upcoming release of your movie, The Leech, on the Arrow channel and on Blu-ray, I asked you to choose your five favourite movies from the Arrow video podcast Lifetime, so stuff we've covered on the show, which meant you had more than 100 movies to choose from, so not an easy task. Um, But I really love your five choices. They're all so good. So, yeah, firstly, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing great. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing really good. I'm really excited to go through these awesome movies. So let's get started with your first selection, which was Candyman, which we covered on episode 36 of the show. Before we talk about it, let's have a little listen to the trailer. Have you ever heard of Candyman? If you look in the mirror... You say his name five times. In cities everywhere. Candyman. They whisper his name. Right. Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman. Candyman. Just a ghost story. Candyman. An entire community starts attributing the daily horrors of their lives to a mythical figure. The legend first appeared in 1890. He was attacked, mutilated, and burned to death. Poor Candyman. Helen, a woman died in there. Leave it. Everyone knows he isn't real. That's modern oral folklore. Everyone. Except Helen Lyle. Bernadette! It ain't safe around here. That don't scare too easy. Wanna know about Ruthie Jane? They ain't never gonna catch him. Who? Candyman. Who is that? I came 
she is about to discover. Helen? Mystery. I'm sick. What's behind the legend? Listen, he's under the bed! And most terrifying of all. Come with me. What's behind the mirror? He's here. Candyman, you don't have to believe. Just beware. What makes Candyman so special for you? Well, specifically this release, it was the first time that I had really gone back and rewatched this movie since the VHS days of seeing it when I was far too young and being terrified by it. And it's, you know, it's one of the few films that I think on rewatch, especially with it looking and sounding as good as it does on this release, it was just as scary. It really, the, uh, the VHS aesthetic was not something that only made it scary it definitely added to it but seeing this film the way that it was meant to be seen uh it just completely holds up it's still just you know top three top two scariest movies ever i mean you know the philip glass score is just genius uh from the second the movie starts it's just like i am in hell and i don't know where i'm going the performances obviously are pretty incredible as well yeah virginia madsen is just astonishing like those kind of close-up shots where she's kind of mesmerized and hypnotized and just so effective um and yeah the journey her character goes on is uh very compelling because of her performance and of course tony todd as the titular candy man is astonishing one of the all-time great horror performances right and all you know really establishing him in the daytime, I mean, you're in mm. that parking garage, you really get the first look at him, which is, it's kind of genius the way that it was, you know, shot, graded, however it is. It's just like, you see him, he's there, but you still don't have like a crystal clear view of his face. And I don't know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about daytime horror lately and what movies really hold up with, you know, maybe not the whole movie being daytime, but a significant number of scenes or key scenes that are, mm. you know, perfectly lit and not hidden in shadow or whatever in this you know this, this movie kind of straddles both lines a little bit but uh yeah it's, it's just one of those films that from the opening frame during the daytime it just it feels as scary as anything said at night absolutely i couldn't agree more and the version uh that you saw because uh, i know arrow did um a limited release which had heather buckley's interview with clive barker on it have you had a chance to watch that interview? I've not dug into all of the special features on this disc. Like I have a few others, but yeah, I mean, just those uh, those two names alone. It sounds like the perfect uh, the perfect conversation. The connection that Heather has with Clive and the answers that she gets from him. It's the best Clive Barker interview I've ever seen. So um, yeah, Amazing. you can watch it. it. It's so good. All right. Well, Eric's next choice is the incredible blowout which was our sixth ever episode. It's one of my top five movies of all time. And um, yeah, one of our earliest episodes. Let's have a listen to the trailer. It began with a sound that no one was ever supposed to hear. He's the one who 
saw it? Yes, he says he pulled the girl out of the car. And I would like you to forget about her. Yeah, that's what I heard just before the tire blew out. You're right, it was a shot. He recorded a murder. They say it never happened. Ends. Witnesses. The girl, I've decided to terminate her. Terminate her. Terminate her. De Palma's blowout. Now you hear it. Now you don't. I mean, I'm always trying to think of a movie that's better than Blowout, and I mean, he's got <laughs> he, he's got so many good films, and you know, I, there's certain certain ones that I watch more than others, and I don't know, I come back to Blowout, and it's just something about it. it, it it's still his best film, and it, uh, also this era, this was the first uh, Arrow Blu-ray I ever picked up. Oh, wow. the, uh, uh, the blowout, I believe it's a steel book that I have. It might have been like a limited steel book thing. Um, but yeah, it is, it was my first introduction to Arrow. And, you know, I, I probably had a, maybe a handful of discs from a few other labels that looked pretty good. Um, typical Blu ray transfers. But this one, you know, whether it was just coupled with the right TV I had at the time or whatever, it just, I couldn't believe how good it looked. I was like, I don't get how a movie in 1981, I think, looks this can look that much better than the majority of movies being made today. Just the the, the contrast, saturation, everything, the framing. I mean, the, you know, performances and direction aside, this the 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 look of the film on this disc just blew me away. I had probably seen it. You know, I probably first saw it when I moved to New York, and like a lot of people living in New York at the time, before Blu-ray was really the thing. Um, a lot of people were buying bootleg DVDs off of the guys in the corner of Union Square. And I remember just getting my hand on a, a bunch of films for like a dollar each. It was like Blowout, Bad Taste, uh, some guy claiming it was the uncut version of The Devils, but it wasn't. And I, there's just a, a whole bunch of films from that time. And I'm, I'm fairly certain Blowout was one of them. Didn't look great, but it was the first time I had seen it and just loved the movie. I was definitely kind of really going through a De Palma kick and you know, seeing the films that, you know, outside of the obvious ones that I had seen growing up, like Mission Impossible or whatever. But mm. um, yeah, it, it just stood out as, uh, you know, when you're a young filmmaker learning the craft of film, it's like, how can you not love Blowout? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's such a good point, because not only uh, are the performances, which, you know, that's kind of the, the first thing that people, most people notice when watching a film for the first time, they're all next level, you know, Travolta's never been better, I don't think. And I know that it's one of Tarantino's favourite movies, so probably the reason he got Pulp Fiction, because, you know, there's kind of a seediness in both of those performances mixed with charisma that um, I think really connects those two, two movies. But yeah, as a filmmaker, as a young filmmaker, there's so much craft here, whether it's the POV stuff in the kind of fake movie or the split diopter stuff. But also, it's a movie about sound design, and the sound design 
in the film had to be next level in order for the whole thing to work and and it does what kind of influences did you take from it you know whether it's how you deal with actors or how you frame a shot or or you know your thoughts about sound design what lessons did you learn from blowout well i mean it is you know I, probably the start of just like having a fascination with zoom lenses i mean I, nice. i've got my hands on a couple zoom lenses for these two movies i've made and yeah. you know tried to use them when it felt right and not an overabundance but you know there's just uh there's the look of movies like Blowout or even, you know, the Parallax View, just like these like late 70s, early 80s sort of like uh, political thrillers or like early conspiracy thrillers where it's just like this camera is always creeping. And it, make, it, it makes perfect sense for a story like Blowout where this guy is, you know, he's listening. He's really like putting together this uh, this murder, you know, in the way that a movie is put together. And it's it's kind of the perfect uh piece to introduce i think a uh, maybe a younger person who wants to be a director or learn about the craft of filmmaking you know giving them something that still has um i think a classic approach to filmmaking but also feels incredibly modern for when it was made absolutely that's actually something i've never thought about before but that's so true like the best conspiracy thrillers make you feel like you're a spy or you're a voyeur like you're kind of is what makes the very best of them. And the parallax view is such a great example. It makes them feel really immersive, like you're in the room with the characters. Um, it's the conversation, really. I mean, it, yeah. there's, there's no shortage, there's no shortage of great films that sort yeah. of, I think we're building up to a movie like Blowout being made. But I think, um, you know, De Palma is one of the most fascinating directors working because, you know, like a lot of us who make horror films, I think a lot of us love it because every corner of the craft of filmmaking goes into a horror movie but there are those rare exceptions of someone like De Palma who is working outside of straight horror I would say but is still putting every piece of craft on display whether it's a drama whether it's a thriller whatever it is I mean he's not he's not satisfied with putting the camera in an easy place and just you know running out of mag yeah <laughs> totally yeah amazing let's move on to Exorcist 3 which was our 66th episode, as close as we could get to 666. Uh, here is the trailer. <laughs> 17 years ago, an extraordinary motion picture touched our most profound, nameless fears. Do you dare walk these steps again? Satan grows stronger. You believe in possession, Father? He has found a haven. Come to take a little blood from you, Father. He has taken possession. The boy had been crucified. His web widens. I've just never seen anything like this in 20 years. Inside this cell. The killer drove an ingot into each of his eyes and cut off his head. Inside, a man. Who are you? I am no one. A man we thought had died 17 years ago. He is inside with us! He will never get away!
terror is back. George C. Scott in William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist 3. I can't discuss Exorcist 3 without praising Brad Dourif's mind-blowing performance. Like, again, one of the best performances in any film so underrated outside of the horror community is he a highlight for you absolutely i mean everything with him in his cell feels as though like it's like a self-contained like state you know like theater experiment almost like it feels like it could be like almost like a one-man show with those scenes of him in his uh in his cell just that one beam of light coming in so perfectly doing the different voices everything yeah, this this movie, it's funny. I, I've been thinking about this movie a lot lately. I just wrote this thing for Letterboxd. Um, and you know, five five films that inspired the leech. This is definitely one of them, I think, in in terms of what the way that Catholic paranoia seeps in from not only the story but the filmmaking. And it kind of got me going down this path of uh reading a little bit more about William Peter Blatty and where he comes from. And it's it's the strangest thing because I actually realized that uh the character that I had written of David, who Graham Skipper plays in the leech after the fact has a very similarly strange background actually to William Peter Blatty. Oh, wow. um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Some of the, some of the things I was reading and a little bit of the backstory I was putting together, but you know, I think one of the things that I take away from Exorcist three is that it feels like a movie that is equally as sort of scary and putting the religious iconography on blast a little bit in terms of being blasphemous with it and probably getting a lot of, heat from religious groups but also it feels like the movie is made by a true catholic like it feels like it's made by someone who does believe and i think that's kind of what makes it so frightening and unhinged and of course it's you know a little disjointed in certain parts based upon the source material and where the final edit ended up like you can feel that throughout it does add to uh, i think a sense of unease but on top of all that it really feels like it's made by someone that knows that knows the inner workings of faith and horror yeah it's a great pick in terms of how it connects to leech as you say I, I tell you one film i was surprised not to see on your list and that was true romance from the director of top gun and beverly hills cop 2 hello baby clarence i'm a married man buddy a con man ask him if you got the letter did you get the letter what letter no time, tell him we gotta go. A call girl. You call for a day? Huh? I'm out of She a four-alarm fire or what? She seems very nice. What are you doing in LA anyway, huh? And a suitcase full of trouble. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I work as consul for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle, the man your son stole from. Now, all that stands between them and their wildest dreams. Find out who this winging a prayer artist is and take him off at the neck. Our 60 cops. 40 agents. He's a wild man, this kid Clarence. I like him. 30 mobsters. I haven't killed anybody since 1984. And a few thousand bullets. We're all gonna die here. These are cops! Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, 
Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken. Slow it down, man. In a Tony Scott film. I think what you did. Not since Bonnie and Clyde have two people been so good at being bad. True Romance. Um, because I feel like that's got a, an influence on the leech as well, um, to a certain extent. Like uh, early on, yeah. anyway, Lexi and Terry do feel very Clarence and Alabama. Um, yeah. Can we throw an extra one in there? Can I get your thoughts on True Romance? I would, abso I would absolutely throw it in there because I love that movie. I do not own the Arrow Got it. Yeah, yeah. Of, of this. Uh, it's on my list to get a hold of. I'm sure the transfer looks amazing. But um, again, 2008, 2009, 2010, when I'm really kind of just devouring you know, a bunch of filmmakers that I was like maybe somewhat aware of, but haven't seen all of their movies. You know, True Romance was that one that came in and just fucking took me by storm i was like how how can you get this many good actors yeah. in this movie it's kind it's kind of insane everything from gandolfini on down it's like where and how do you get this much talent in a single movie i i really think tony scott has just one of the strongest filmographies hands down of anyone who's ever you know whether they're with us or not i, I can't i can't think of a movie of his that isn't just singular and incredible even the you know the the late stuff I I rate as high as the early stuff, like the the work that he did with Denzel Washington across several movies, just incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's move on to King of New York, which we covered on our 29th episode. That's one of my favorite episodes that we've ever done. And here is the trailer for King of New York. Frank White is a free man. How come you never came to see me? Who wanted to see you in a cage, man? He served his time. What can we expect from the reformed Frank White? I want to be mayor. He paid his debt. Go someplace where you can stay out of trouble. But some things don't change. From here on, nothing goes down unless I'm involved. No blackjack, no dope deals, no nothing. You're waiting years for this. You're up to white, forget it. I'm gonna make you and your friends disappear long before that. Are you arresting me? Frank's Park Avenue attorney can get him out in 10 minutes. 10 minutes later! I feel no remorse. I missed you. I got a quarter million dollar contract on anyone involved in this case. The cops tried to stop him their way. I'm not your problem. I'm just a businessman. Now they'll have to do it. His way. There's only one way to get Frank. Christopher Walken, King of New York. You expected to get away with killing all these people? I never killed anybody that didn't deserve it. So, King of New York, one of the coolest films ever made, no question. So cool that the characters wear sunglasses at night. Why did you go for, for King of New York? <laughs> I think you just described the exact reason I went for King of New York. 
<laughs> sunglasses in at night uh it's not real moonlight it's like the harsh blue moonlight coming through yeah. you know abandoned brooklyn lofts as everyone's just dancing to hip-hop and having a great time and living lawlessly on the edge uh steve buscemi with a, a great scene in the beginning but whose character just kind of disappears and never really know what happened um but yeah this movie i mean it's just one of the coolest movies made by one of the coolest filmmakers one of my favorite filmmakers and definitely um a film again i'm realizing a lot of these filmmakers i think are people that i kind of came across around the same time in some of these mm -hmm. films at the same time when i first moved to new york and was just trying to devour everything whether it was you know available in theater or you know games video or whoever but um yeah this is i think this really is one of abel ferrara's stronger films um it's just brutal and it's, it's brutal in the way that you know this movie perfectly it straddles a very difficult line of i feel equally as sympathetic for you know the hoods as i do the cops like every time it cuts and gives you the perspective of whoever's going on. Like I sympathize with both sides. That's a very difficult thing to do, especially now, you know, with, with the way I think a, a lot of us are viewing um, authority in movies, you know, you, you get to those scenes with David Caruso and the whole gang. And it's just like, you know, you feel for them. Like they are trying to do the best thing possible. But on the other hand, Christopher Walken is just too fucking cool. Like you just want him to get away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. I mean, he's given money to a children's hospital. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you can definitely feel where Ferrara's loyalties lie. That's for sure. And um, yeah, it's like a great tragedy. You know, it's it's a, a beautiful movie. One of the best collaborations with him and his uh, his screenwriter, who I, uh, Nikki yeah. St. John, is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything that those two did together, they just feel like they're sort of within the same like I don't know process of thought of like the same movie kind of it's like there's different iterations of like very similar stories throughout King of New York stylistically just everything lands perfectly I, I love that film so much so very I mean, Larry Fishburne I'm Larry Fishburne's uh what, what, what is the catchphrase in the beginning when he opens up the the briefcase and it's full of tampons and he goes what are these for he goes for the bullet holes motherfucker and then he yeah. starts firing across the I mean I I don't know there's I'm struggling to think of a better like way to kick off a shootout. Yeah, hell yeah. Let's move on to your next choice, uh, the final choice, and that is Videodrome. Here's the trailer. Why would anybody watch a scum show like Videodrome? Why did you watch it, Max? Business reasons. Sure. What about the other reasons? Ren is a victim. I woke up with a headache. He Listen. has been exposed to Videodrome. I've been hallucinating for a while, ever since... What? Since I first saw Videodrome. His brain is already receiving video images. I think that massive doses of Videodrome signal will ultimately produce and control hallucination to the point that it will change human reality. Soon, his visions will coalesce and become uncontrollable flesh. Videodrome is seducing Max Wren. Please, come to me now. Come to Nikki. And Max Wren can do nothing to stop it. What makes you think I need help? None of our test subjects has returned to 
normality. Television can change your mind. Videodrome will change your body. Long live the new flesh. It will shatter your reality. Videodrome, starring Deborah Harry and James Woods. A shocking new vision from the creator of Scanners. Coming soon to a theater near you from Universal Pictures. What are your memories of the first time you saw it and what made you choose it for, for this episode? Similar kind of story to Blowout and that I'm barely certain. And I, this, I think this was the first Criterion Blu-ray I ever got, actually. Nice. Um, when I first picked it up, I definitely had some DVs before that. So again, it was a movie that I I kind of feel like I had seen it, but not... I. I I didn't must not have remembered a lot of it until I first saw it on Blu-ray. And again, it looked incredible. Um, transfer was great. It sounded great. You know, so I, I felt like it was a movie I was really seeing for the first time um, as far as what I could remember. And yeah, this is just a movie where, I mean, again, everything is on display. Everything, like the, the, the top of the line visual effects are all going. The best in prosthetics. You've got James Wood operating it just like, I, a level that I don't think that he's ever gotten back to. Um, you know, he's there, there's been a handful of roles that he's done well with, but um, I don't think that he's ever outdone Videodrome. Um, this is also just Cronenberg at his sort of most deranged, I think. You know, it's so inventive too. I, I feel yeah. kind of similar to Candyman. It's just like, I don't know, I, I, I can't imagine going down the process of trying to sort of think that movie out in your head, like what might happen from scene to scene. Like nothing... Nothing makes like the most obvious sense, but it plays out so perfectly. And I also remember watching the movie because I think I want to say it's like 83 or 82 minutes long. It always felt like it got in, did what it wanted to do and got out fast. And I, yeah. I think that's something that I, I've definitely taken to uh, with some of these lower budget movies is, uh, you know, get in and get out, you know, as fast as you can and sort of deliver the most you can in a short amount of time. I think Videodrome really, really may have set the standard. I'm trying to think of any other movies around that time that might have been under 90 minutes. What's kind of interesting about the combination of movies that you've chosen is, um, you know, you, you've got kind of the body horror of Videodrome. There's some body horror in Candyman, but then you've also got like the kind of crime stuff, King of New York and Blowout and then you know, you've got Exodus 3, which ties most directly to the leech. What are your interests as an artist? I think, you know, if I'm looking at my, you know, shelf, my Blu-rays, or sort of thinking about what I'm usually watching, whether it's a new movie or older movie, it is, it's, it's usually always genre. It's most likely somewhere either horror or crime. I mean, you know, I love John Carpenter as much as I love Martin Scorsese. I mean, I'm just, you know, these, but all, all of these movies, whether it's a horror film or a crime film or a thriller, all, all of these things that sort of fall under the bigger umbrella of genre is I just think that everything is on display. There's no, there's no set, there's no throwaway shot. You know, you watch the Scorsese film, it's like, he's, there's no like, there's not a throwaway moment. There's yeah. no easy placement. Like it, it didn't matter you know, with the schedule, the budget, producers, whatever. Like they, they got these movies done and every frame is fucking incredible. And I can say the same thing for some of the best horror films, whether, you know, from Kubrick to Cronenberg down the line, whoever. I mean, these are just, these are filmmakers that didn't settle. And I think that they're also filmmakers that did move between genres a little bit. 
you know, I, one of my favorite filmmakers is Nicholas Rogue, who is notoriously sort of like undefinable, but, you know, Don't Look Now is maybe one of the most like suspenseful, masterfully executed suspense thrillers ever. And then switches it up entirely and does a movie like Walkabout, you know, it's, um, I, I don't know, I definitely gravitate, gravitate towards people that I, I think probably get bored of themselves to a certain degree. You know, if you finish doing a movie that's one thing or one genre, the last thing you want to do is do the same thing afterwards. I mean, the only real position I'm in right now is I just don't want to make a movie in the snow again. Like the winter was too much. The 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 leech was winter. That was a fine. It's a cold movie. You yeah. know, I'm looking at everyone like, yeah, let's go, let's go to the jungle next to make a movie. So um oh yeah. I, I don't have any like uh any like real concise answer on what, what the the genre aspirations are, but I do know that it's usually trying to go in a different direction each time just so I'm not getting bored with myself. Interesting. And and you talked about, you know, thinking a lot about daytime horror, scary scenes that happen during the day. Is that because you're working on something that has some daytime horror or is that just something that you're interested in at the moment? Well, again, it's, it's I'm maybe just a product of the last two movies I made take right. place for the most point at nighttime yeah. over like a very short amount of time. So it just kind of has me thinking like, oh, daytime and you know, what's, what, what movies take place during the daytime that are still suspenseful or still scary. You know, I rewatched uh, The Hills Have Eyes remake for the first time, probably since I saw it in the theaters. And that was a pretty, pretty harrowing theater experience when that movie first came out. A lot of people walked out that I knew. And I was in high school when that movie was in theaters and I'm watching it again. And it's a, it's a fucking intense movie and it's all during the day. I mean, there's not a lot of nighttime in that movie and it's still, it's, it's, there's no shortage of, uh, of tension in that film it really did hold up on a rewatch because I, I had not yeah. seen it since theaters and I just I remembered I remember I remembered exactly where people walked out and I'm watching it again this time and I'm thinking yeah, yeah I could still probably see some people walking out right about now yeah no I bet and um let's talk directly about the leech when we help others we bring them face to face with God Sir, are, are you all right? Who the hell are you? Why don't you stay at my place tonight? Please, I insist. That was a hell of a place. It belonged to my mother. No! <laughs> it was a bulldog. That's mother. It's so nice of you to let me stay here. You think there's any chance the two of us might be able to stay here through Christmas? I'm willing to open my door to you. I thought it might be time to deck the halls. These guests, something about them is not right. They are God's lost children finding their way home. There's one drink. I, I shouldn't. Please. No more heavy metal music or drugs. My house, my rules. They'd want to come to this. the ashes of destruction. We'll all be family soon enough. Comes new life. What is that? I want my back. We ain't trying to leech. Let's introduce it for people who haven't come across it at any of the festivals that it's screened at. 
and don't know too much about it. How would you summarize The Leech for a newcomer? Well, I've always called it a Christmas horror comedy. Um, it's definitely heavy on the comedy. It becomes a little more horrific towards the end. But it's basically about this Catholic priest that helps a, a struggling couple off the street at Christmas time. His goodwill is quickly put to the test and eventually drives him crazy. And the movie sort of tracks the spiraling out of control of this priest. It's clearly a, a real collaboration with your actors. Um, how much control did they have to kind of influence their characters and to kind of change stuff in the moment? Um, was it that kind of collaboration? You know, I've always, I've, I've been fortunate to work with people that are very good at changing things when they need to change things or when a better idea comes up. But this movie was even more sort of rehearsed and pre-planned more so than even Sadistic Intentions because we made it during the pandemic pre-vaccine. Right. So a lot of the rehearsals and talking about things happened exactly how you and I are talking right now, which is over Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, you know, myself and the four cast, we were all in different states and, you know, really talking through, you know, the, we just didn't have a lot of time. We really kind of had to get to set and put our, you know, noses to the ground and work hard on this because it was a crazy time to make a movie. So in one way, I feel like it was, it was a little more scripted and pre-planned than it might have been otherwise. Um, but also a lot of great stuff came in the moment because, you know, they're they're gifted actors and they they happen to be very good at that. You know, a couple of them more willingly so than others at times, but um, there's no one, I've not worked with an actor who's been, you know, real strict about needing to hear everything, mm. you know, to the line, whether it be from themselves or other actors. And, um... I, I talked about the kind of true, like the potential true romance influence on the movie. It definitely feels like there's a planes, trains, and automobiles influence in there <laughs> as well. Um, that's again one of my all-time favorite films. Um, is it one of your favorite films? And if so, how excited are you about this upcoming Blu-ray release? Not from Arrow, sadly, but. Uh, with the 75 minutes of deleted scenes. Have you heard about this? <laughs> I've not heard about this. This is new to me. Yeah, they've found all this kind of lost footage and uh, are releasing, I think it's 4K, but with 75 minutes of deleted scenes. Well, that's incredible. I, I love this movie. It was not on my mind when I wrote it, but this <laughs> is the one movie that uh, most commonly people have been sort of bringing up as yeah. far as like something outside of the horror genre in it really brings a smile to my face because it makes total sense. You know, I wasn't thinking about this, but you start to look at, you know, comedies at that time in American film and you've got Clark Griswold, you've got Cousin Eddie. I mean, you've got, you've got a, a lot of characters that are just going head to head with one another. And, you know, it goes as far back as, you know, Tom and Jerry or, you know, <laughs> Roadrunner or any of this stuff. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's total comic mischief. And, you know, I, I think it's a great framework to build a movie around. There's natural tension when you two, put two different people at odds with one another. You know, I think it's really just up to the writer and the director to kind of decide how far you go with it or, you know, what kind of framework you're putting that inside of. But no, it, it's it's been amazing to hear that. <laughs> I'm a fan. Love it. And speaking of being a fan, you know, you, you've got a, a pretty amazing Arrow video collection how does it feel? And we talked about these incredible films that Arrow have released. How does it feel to have the leech? I mean, I, I saw you posted on um, social media today that you've, you've got your uh, 
your bundle of discs. Um, how did it feel to open that package and, and see the finished version? And how is it going to feel to file that Blu-ray in amongst your other Arrow Blu-rays? Feels good, Sam. I got to be honest. I got, <laughs> I, got the box, I got the box in and I pulled the wrapper off and put it on the shelf with the other Arrow titles. And it, yeah. it feels amazing. I mean, you know, my, my first movie did not get a physical release um really i mean there's sort of like a dvd you can get of it that they print as they're ordered but that's not really a a proper pressing so you know it, this is a big deal not only just to have it on blu-ray but also with such a such a great company that i've been a fan of for a while um but yeah i have it uh was it between i think i have it next to wild things and something else i can't tell <laughs> nice <laughs> another um, another another film on my arrow recent watch list in your email, you, you couldn't just stick to five, and I respect that very much. I'd be exactly the same. You did include some other stuff. You included Wild Things, which we've, we've covered, Dinner in America, which we haven't covered yet, but was my number one film of last year in our rundown. I think Dinner in America is next level. I, everyone should watch that film if they haven't seen it. It's already a classic. The second the yeah. credits rolled, I'm like, well, that's a classic. That's, yeah. that's, that's going to be an all-time American classic in the vein of like, you know, like a great lost Dennis Hopper film or something like that. Yeah, it's one that I'm going to revisit every year until I die, basically. I yeah. love it. <laughs> you also included Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, as an option, Climax, Cruising, and Over the Edge. If there's anyone listening to this podcast who hasn't seen any of those movies, hunt them down. They are also masterpieces. Yeah. Eric, I could talk to you for, for many hours, but we are out of time. Thank you so much for your time and for your movie. And yeah, The Leech will be out on Blu-ray on December the 6th, and it will be on the Arrow channel at around the same time. So however you watch it, do watch it. It is a Christmas treat. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Thanks again to Eric. You can buy his movie, The Leech, this week. Just head over to the Arrow website. Now, this was a special episode to mark the five-year anniversary of the podcast. Dan would have loved to have been here, but he's away filming. And we're not allowed to say what he's working on. But do make sure to look out for and support his releases next year. They're all super exciting. I'm so proud of how his career has taken off in 2022. He's making the kind of movies that Arrow might even release in 20 years. He's hoping to be back for the end of year special, which should be the next episode if he's able to make it. All of the movies in Eric's top five, though it was actually a top six because we threw True Romance in there at the last minute. All of those choices have a whole dedicated episode in the archive featuring both Dan and I that you can listen to whenever you want. And I'd like to take a moment in this anniversary special to thank every single precious Arrowhead who's been with us for the past five years. Whether you've listened to one episode or a hundred, Dan and I really do sincerely appreciate every single one of you. I say thank you so much for listening at the end of every episode. And I really do mean that. Thank you. We have a very special audience. And you, yes you, the Arrowhead listening to this right now, have given us the best job a film fan could ever ask for. We've loved talking about movies to you, for you and with you if you've ever reached out. Some of you have already signed up for my Patreon, VHS Quest, 
which is a weekly recommendations engine. If you're interested in that, you can go to Patreon forward slash VHS Quest. I'll also be doing a best and worst films of 2022 episode in December, so that will be super fun. And it's just $4 a month for four movie recommendations a week. So yeah, Patreon forward slash VHS Quest for loads of amazing movies you've probably never seen. Anyway, Precious Arrowhead, I've had so much fun with Dan, with the team at Arrow, especially Mike and Lou, and with you over the past five years. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. And we promised to be more professional next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.